Good morning, church family. It's great to be gathered again with you. We're uh, going to be beginning our new series, uh, really, Summer in the Psalms. And you're saying, well, I don't know if it's summer yet. It's getting there. We're getting there. But I wanted to start with uh, what I think is one of the premier psalms in the entire 150 of them. And we'll probably spend a few weeks on this psalm. Let me tell you a little bit of a story. Several years ago, I remember asking a pastor friend of mine, you know, what you know, the Lord had been saying to him and, and uh, what's going on in his life. And he said, you know, I've, I've been really studying Psalm 23. And I said, oh, great. You know, like I, I didn't really think to ask him, uh, you know, what the Lord had showed him. But I asked him, you know, how long you've been studying Psalm 23 or camping in Psalm 23? And he said, two years. And I, I said, two years. I said, you know, it's six verses, right? And he just kind of sheepishly said, you know what, there's just so much that the Lord's been showing me. And so I kind of went away from that meeting and I said, you know, Lord, like what's going on with this Psalm 23? And it was interesting that when I went on my discipleship uh, two-year course down in the States, one of the first things they had us to do was to memorize Psalm 23 and to spend some time meditating on it and praying through it. And what's been interesting for me in the last three years is that I have spent more time in Psalm 23 probably than any other scripture that I've ever spent time meditating on and thinking about. You see, it's an incredible scripture. And many people think it's really a scripture about death. You know, you hear Psalm 23, you watch movies, and whenever they're quoting a scripture at the funeral side, it's always Psalm 23. And, uh, but really, it's, it's not a psalm about death. It's actually a psalm about all of life. And, and that's why I want to spend some time talking through and about Psalm 23. See, in this psalm, believe it or not, in this psalm, you're going to learn about relationship, provision, rest, peace, healing, guidance, testing and trials, protection, faithfulness, blessing, anointing, and ultimately security and eternal security. That's all packed into these six verses. They're really a revelation about the God with whom we walk with in life. This is what you're going to learn when we walk through Psalm 23. Well, let's pray and start to unpack these six verses that really describe to us the God that we are walking with. In life. So, Father, I pray intently right now, Lord, that you will give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better, to know the hope that we have been called to, to know the glorious inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus, and to know the incomparably great power for us who believe. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive, and respond to you today and to know that we walk with a very amazing and good God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the psalm starts with these familiar words. The Lord is my shepherd. And uh, when you think of a shepherd, what do you think of? You know, maybe one who guides and cares for the sheep, maybe one who protects the sheep from all kinds of dangers and predators. But the concept that God wants us to understand and the concept even in the scripture is even far greater than what maybe our 
first initial thoughts might be. You see, many ancient uh, kings and rulers used to call themselves the shepherd of their people. You see, they understood that they get presented this picture. That's why you see a lot of ancient rulers would be holding, holding this thing called a rod. And it's basically this, this rod that they would hold. And it, it, was, it was really a, a symbol of their authority and their rulership. And it's what shepherds also held, which we'll learn later in the week or later next week when we talk about that. But this rod would be used to defend off predators, but also for a king, it was this great symbol of their authority and their power in their leadership and guiding the nation as the shepherd of their nation. You see, sheep were defenseless animals and people, uh, they often got lost and needed to be cared for constantly. And so leaders love to take that role or that thought, this is what I'm called to be as a shepherd of my people. But God's image even goes deeper than that. You see, the image of God begins way back as God as a shepherd begins way back in Genesis 48. And Israel uh, is blessing Joseph and his sons. You remember he's now taken out of Egypt and uh, sorry, he's brought to Egypt, sorry, to be protected during the great famine. And uh, this is what he says when he's praying. He says, may God bless you boys. He is the God of my grandfather, Abram, and my father, Isaac. They walked faithfully with him. He is the God who has been my shepherd all my life right up to this day. So God being called a shepherd was from the earliest days of scripture. And all throughout the Bible, we see this shepherding image. We know that Abel was the first shepherd and he was the first martyr of the Bible killed, but he was a shepherd of the sheep. We know that Moses for over 40 years shepherded his father-in-law's sheep. We know that David was the shepherd of his father's sheep and really became the great shepherd king of Israel. And so we see this understanding and we know that even the Messiah was prophesied throughout the Old Testament as becoming as a shepherd one day. You can read about that in places like Ezekiel 34. But the concept of God being a shepherd really came to light through the ministry of Jesus Christ. He uncovered what it meant to to the world, what it meant that God was a good shepherd. And you can read about that again in John chapter 10, but let me just highlight a couple of the thoughts from John chapter 10 that share with us about God being this good shepherd. Jesus is speaking at verse two to four. He says, the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he's brought out by his own sheep, then he's brought out, he brings out his own sheep. He goes on ahead of them. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. You know, shepherds would be uh, sometimes together at a watering hole and there would be one huge pen where they might be. And different sheepfolds would be mixed together, but the one shepherd could go in and call his sheep out and his sheep would follow him. That's incredible. John 10 goes on and says this, I'm the gate for the sheep. Anyone who enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and they will find plenty of food and good pasture. John 10 goes on and says, I am the good shepherd who lays down my life and sacrifices for the sheep. I alone am the good shepherd, and I know those whose hearts are mine, for they recognize and they know me. See, understand something, that eastern shepherds were different maybe than what we understand as western shepherds. 
in that Eastern shepherds never drove their sheep. They simply led them. They led them with their voice. And from pasture to pasture to pasture, they would go and they would call their sheep and their sheep would follow them. And just remember, they would have to travel with those sheep because the pasture land was very, very scarce. And when they would find some, the sheep would feed and then they would have to lead their flock to the next place, to the next watering hole, to the next place of sustenance. You know, when they were away from a larger pen at night, what they would have to do is gather their sheep and maybe they would gather them against a rock side or a hillside and then they would surround them with rocks around both sides and pen the sheep in. And oftentimes the shepherd himself would become the gate. He would lay down and that's where he would sleep at night. The shepherd would be guarding the sheep and the only way into that pen was through the shepherd. Quite a picture we see. That's why Jesus, I think, called himself the gate for the sheep. You know, if the sheep got, one sheep got lost, the shepherd would leave the 99 safe in the pen and he would go and look for that one. And when he would find that one, he would carry that one back and, and rejoice that he had found his lost sheep. This is the picture that Jesus painted of God as a shepherd. And the concept of God being our shepherd even goes deeper than this through Psalm 23, which is incredible when you think about it. You see, the word for shepherd is the Hebrew word ra'ah. And the Hebrew word for ra'ah is a very interesting word because it can mean shepherd, but it also means best friend or companion. And so when you understand that, probably the best translation of Psalm 23, this very first verse, is found in the Passion Translation. This is what it says. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. So now you begin to get an understanding of the intimacy in this scripture. You begin to get an understanding of the passion that God is trying to relay when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd, my companion through all of life. Wow. I mean, that's a pretty awesome introduction into this incredible psalm. And what does it mean to walk with God as our best friend and our shepherd and our companion, our traveling companion in life? This is really what Psalm 23 is talking about. You see, friends of God, the very beginning of this psalm actually says something more. And this is some things that I started to unpack as I was studying and preparing this last week for this message. And it starts off and it says, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, you know, that word, the Lord, is God's unique name. And we know this story from Exodus chapter 3 and 4, and you can go there and unpack it yourself later if you want. But in Exodus 3 and 4, we know Moses, who's a shepherd, is out tending the sheep, and all of a sudden he sees this strange sight. He sees a bush that's burning, but it doesn't burn up. So he goes to see this burning bush, and when he approaches, he hears the words, Moses, Moses. And he responds and he says, here I am. And when he responds, of course, God speaks to him and begins to reveal himself to him. And he says, you know, the place where you're standing is holy ground. Take off your sandals. And Moses is like, whoa, God is here. This is an incredible moment. So God is, uh, begins then to lay out to Moses the misery of his people in Egypt. He says, I've seen the suffering of my people. I've seen their misery and I'm going to set them free and Moses is like, yay, amen, good job. God in the burning bush, whom I don't really know, but you know, it sounds like a good plan to me. 
And then God says, so I'm going to send you, Moses, to go and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. So Moses starts off by saying, here I am. And now God says, I'm sending you. And he says, whoa, who am I? <laughs> who am I? I, whoa, I can't go. I can't even talk. I just ran away from Egypt. I don't want to go back. You know, find somebody else. He literally starts pleading with this burning bush God to find somebody else. And it's interesting, you know, as we talk about this, God then reveals something further to him. I, I love this one because Moses starts off, he says, here I am. And then he goes, who am I? I can't go. And then lastly, he says, who are you? Because this is what God asks him. Moses says to God, suppose the Israelites say to, to me, uh, who's the God of your fathers that has sent me to you? And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? And of course, you know the answer. God says to Moses, I am who I am. Tell them this is what you are to say if they ask you. I am has sent me to you. I am. You know, if I was Moses, I would think I am what? You know, and God answers this kind of re this circular statement. I am that I am. I am that I am. It's uninterrupted. There's no, there's no sense to this sentence. And until you come to that sentence with a need, and the minute you come to that with a need, that God, that I am with a need, suddenly the sentence opens up and says, I am whatever you need. I am whatever you need. And you see, in the Old Testament, scholars tell us that eight times God reveals himself and answers that, if you want to call it that blank check to fill the need. And God does all kinds of things in, in the Old Testament, these eight instances where he shows up as the provider, as peace, as righteousness, as sanctification, as the Lord is present or here. The Lord is their banner or their healer. The Lord is the shepherd of their people. And so these times and these instances where God reveals himself are found in the I am moments of the Old Testament. We know Jesus fulfills the I am statements in the Gospel of John, but that's for another sermon another time. But it's interesting that when Israel showed up with a need, God showed up as the great I am. Now, why would I take us down this rabbit trail as I approach Psalm 23? Do you know that in Psalm 23, all of the revelations that God does of himself in the entire Old Testament of the I am's are actually seen in Psalm 23. <laughs> that is incredible. And that's what we're going to look at for the next couple of weeks. I'm only going to get through a few of them today, but I want you to understand, you know, all these things that are being revealed in this shepherd Psalm, this is what God is trying to tell us packed into these six verses of scripture. God is saying, as you're traveling through life, I'm going to be your best friend and your shepherd and your traveling companion. And whatever you need, I'm going to bring it to you and unpack it. That's the promise and the blessing of God that is laid out in Psalm 23. Wow. Not only is he your friend, your best friend, he's not only your shepherd, but he is the great I am. Well, let's look at some of these things and learn from them from the book of Psalm 23, the gospel, or sorry, the Psalm 23 chapter of the Bible. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. I lack nothing. 
Why? Because he is the Lord, our provider. He is Jehovah Jireh, which is one of the things that God revealed in Genesis 22, 14. You know, the story, you remember maybe Abraham uh, was, uh, he, he didn't trust God to have a son. And so he, God basically said, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him Isaac. Abraham tried to produce a son on his own and he ended up producing an Ishmael. And there's a whole story you can read about in the book of Genesis. So now Isaac is about 14 years old and God says, I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. That's what he told Abraham to do. The test, you see, he wasn't trust God before. Now God's testing him. So he takes this incredible story. He says, Isaac, pick up the wood and carry it. We're going to go make a sacrifice to the Lord. What a picture of Jesus Christ this is. Isaac is carrying the wood that he is going to be sacrificed on. Isn't that an incredible thought? What a picture of Jesus as he carried the wood that he would be sacrificed on. And so they go out and they prepare the sacrifice and Abraham takes the 14-year-old son, this son that he had in his old age, he binds him to that altar and he's about to sacrifice him and God stops him and says, wait, stop. I see that you're willing to lay down everything for me, to trust me. And God provides him with a ram that is caught by its horns in the thicket so that Abraham can make the sacrifice. And that's when God, or the Abraham called God, the Lord will be Jehovah Jireh. I am your provi- provider. I will provide all that you need. So this is where the Psalm starts, church. It starts with this incredible revelation. The God is my best friend my shepherd, and I shall not want. Why? Because he is Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord who provides all that I need. And so, you know, you you need to pause and take a moment right now. You know, you need to start from this place of revelation as God's people, as his beautiful ones. You need to quiet yourself throughout the day and throughout your moments. And even right now, you can quiet yourself and, and, and you're standing before the provider God and you're saying, here's my, my need right now, Lord. I, I don't know what your need is. Your need may be physical. Your need may be emotional. Your need may be social or spiritual. God is saying, I shall not want. If you walk with me in life, you can walk and say, I shall not want because I know my God walks with me. I want you to place that need right now in your hands before the Lord. Whatever it is, maybe you're afraid, maybe you're hurt, I, I, maybe you just need provision, I don't know. But just take a moment right now. Picture God, picture that need in your hands and just lay it before the Lord the one who walks with you, your best friend, your good shepherd, and let him meet that need. Amen? You see, listen to me carefully. The provision of the Lord is his presence. In other words, all that we need is in the presence of God. Well, let's go on. The psalm goes on and says this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside the still waters. You see, again, this is a revelation of God that was shown to in the book of Judges. The Lord is our peace, or Jehovah Shalom. And that's found in Judges 6.24. Gideon, of course, is uh, you know, the least of the family of the, the Benjamites, and he's hiding to, to try and take a crop off and get some wheat for his family. And suddenly a, a traveler shows up, and he doesn't know it's the angel of the Lord. And he basically greets him, and he says, you know, uh, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. God is with you, mighty warrior. And he's like, what is kind of strange, bizarre greeting is this? And he's, you know, starts arguing, if God's with me, why are we going through so much stuff? Why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult? And uh, so the guy's telling him, listen, the Lord's going to use you to l- l- deliver the Israelites against the Midianites. And, and he's like, this is crazy. I don't even, who are you basically? He says, well, if this is the Lord, let me go get an offering and I'm going to make an offering to the Lord. So he does. He go, the angel says, okay, I'll wait. <laughs> so he goes and he gets his offering and he lays it out and the angel takes his staff and touches the offering and it's instantly consumed. And suddenly Gideon realizes that he's been speaking not just to an angel, but to the angel of the Lord. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. He is speaking to God himself and he's arguing with God. And then he basically says, woe unto me, I have talked to the angel of God. I've seen the angel of God, I'm gonna die. And this is God's response. He's like, relax, peace, don't be afraid. You're not gonna die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord and there he called it, the Lord is peace. You know, the Lord is leading you beside still waters, church. He's leading you to a meadow of abundance. You know, in the midst of our world today, listen to me right now. In a world right now where anything that can be shaken is being shaken, I am telling you there is a supernatural peace that is available for the believer. If you will but travel with God, if you will but walk with Jehovah Shalom, If you will but say, God, I open up my heart and my life and my mind in the midst of chaos, in the midst of disorder, in the midst of fear, I ask you to bring your peace. Because remember, remember church, that the provision of the Lord is his presence. If you're just with him, his peace will sustain you and surround you. It's beautiful. What a beautiful invitation as we walk with God, our shepherd king, our best friend, in all of life, that we can walk and have peace. Amen? The scripture goes on and says, He restores my soul. That's a beautiful word. And again, we see it in God being revealed in the Old Testament. For He is the Lord, our healer, or Jehovah Rapha. I am your healer, it says in Exodus 15, 26. You see, the Lord wants to restore your soul, church. He wants to fill your soul. It's a beautiful word about healing and provision and restoration. It's bringing us back to the starting point, to what we were always intended us us to be. It's God lifting us up. It's God carrying us back home and causing us to be recovered and to be refreshed. I'm going to tell you, church, if you're like me, you know this is true. Life draws upon us. It demands from us. 
And there's so much pulling at us right now, so many things that are pulling on us, so much vying for our attention. I'm telling you that if you will walk with your shepherd friend, if you will walk with the the good shepherd, your best friend, I'm telling you, he wants to restore your life. He wants to give you what you need to live life today. What a promise. What a blessing is found in Psalm 23 for you and for me. You know, what do you need restoration in your life for? You know, take a time right now. Again, just see that moment of frustration, that moment of fear. Lay it before the Lord. You know, I really felt to tell you as I was preparing that I believe there are some of you in your life that need healing right now. And I'm telling you, this is who God is. This is who's walking with you. You know, the God is our healer. And maybe it's not you. Maybe it's one of your family members. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a neighbor. Right now, I want you to take that person and put them in your hand and lay them before Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. Just do that right now. Let God's provision come to that place and bring healing and restoration. Hallelujah. The provision of the Lord is His presence. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. The scripture goes on and says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Do you know that the path of righteousness again is one of the names of God? It's incredible. The Lord is our righteousness. He is Jehovah Sikhanu. And and that's an incredible thought. I am your righteousness. Jeremiah 33, 16 says these words. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. Hallelujah. Listen to me. Your best friend and your shepherd leads you in paths of righteousness, church. Not just the right path, but the righteous path. And the righteous path leads to Him. Hallelujah. For He is our righteousness, the Bible says. You know, you're not righteous with God. You're not right with God by what you have done. You are right with God by trusting what He has done for you. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. And if we will but come to the shepherd, our best friend, He will give us righteousness. You know, a lot of times I want the right path laid out for me. And I've done this many times in my life where I kind of want God to give me a set of directions. If you're like me, you do that. Like, God, I want you to just tell me what to do. If you just tell me what to do, then I can do it. It's kind of like driving your car and you're in a foreign city and you don't know which way to go and you want really clear directions. Sometimes life feels like that. You feel like I need clear directions before I can go forward and trust you, God. But you see, here's the difference. If God is in the car with you, (laughs) you don't need a set of directions. If your best friend is in the car with you, If your shepherd king is in the car with you, you don't need a set of directions. He knows where he's going. As long as he's there, you're fine. And I think that's why Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. You are riding in life with your shepherd king, your best friend. You can trust him. Just keep going. Keep walking. Every day you can pull on this provision. You know, I love that the scripture goes on. It says, he guides me and he does all these things. He leads and guides us for his name's sake. You see, God is revealing his name in this passage of scripture. He's revealing who he is. He's revealing that the shepherd king, your best friend, is far more than you think, far more than you could ever need or imagine. What a good, good father. Well, we're going to study the rest of this psalm in the weeks to come. But I want you to understand, if you will walk with Jesus, if you will but choose to walk with Jesus in this life, this is the companion that will walk with you. Hallelujah. You know, I love that because the end of the psalm, which we'll look at again in weeks to come, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, this psalm is not just about life here and now, but it is also about life in eternity and for eternity. Let me tell you a story. And it's a true story, of course, and you're going to find that out right now, but I want to share it with you. On Monday, my wife and I had the privilege of being able to go into the hospital, which we haven't been able to do as pastors. We were called in to visit our friend Don in the hospital. He had an accident and he fell and he broke his hip and he wasn't doing well. He wasn't really recovering from the surgery. And on Wednesday, Don went to be with the Lord. I'm telling you this story about Don because he was 96 years old. Some of you know him from our church family. He was a World War II veteran that just started coming to our church in the last year, who served his country very bravely, one of the few D-Day veterans left alive today. You see, Don made it very clear to me that he did not have time for religion. And if you talk to his friends, that was something they told me as well. Don didn't have time for religion, but he was certainly open to a relationship with God and his people. You see, Don didn't start coming to church until he was 95 years old. 95. He met my wife in the seniors home here and she invited him to come to church with her. And believe it or not, Don took her up on that request. And so Betty would go and pick him up every week and bring him to church. And one Sunday, Don raised his hand for salvation, prayed the prayer to ask the good shepherd to come into his life. You know, I'm telling you this story because some of you know Don, of course, and some of you are gonna be saddened to hear about his passing. But I want to thank many people who just loved Don when he came. They were friends of Don when he came to church. You see, you're a friend of the shepherd when you invite people to church. You're a friend of God's when you tell people about God. And I want you to know that it's never too late. (laughs) It's never too late to start a relationship with the good, good shepherd. Amen? He wants to be your friend. He wants to come into your life and he wants to do life together with you. What a beautiful, incredible 
invitation this is. Through all of life's triumphs and trials, God, the Good Shepherd, your best friend, wants to walk together with you. You know, the Bible says he's as close as the mention of his name. And if you will but ask him right now, would you come into my life, Jesus? Would you forgive my sins? Would you become my best friend, my good shepherd? Do you know he will do that? And if you do that, please let us know on the website. Just click and tell us that you did that so we can pray together with you and rejoice with you like we're rejoicing with Don. You see, I know I'm going to see Don again. It was a privilege to be able to pray him with him on Monday, but it's going to be a privilege to meet him again in eternity. Amen? And you as well. We're going to take communion now, and communion is really just a celebration of the fact that we're in common union with our best friend and our good shepherd. You see, Jesus is the good shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep. He died carrying that cross, hallelujah, that wood to the sacrifice in order that you and I could be restored into a relationship with God. Please don't walk away from Jesus. Please don't leave him standing there, but invite him into your life. Invite him in. He will walk with you. And for those of you that prepared your emblems for communion with your family, just gather them around. And we're just going to celebrate together in closing this service by looking and taking communion. The bread represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. His body that was broken for you and for me. See, the one bread, the one piece of bread became broken. The whole loaf broke itself so that we could become part of the loaf, part of Christ's life. What a beautiful thing that the Good Shepherd did for you and I to lay down his life for the sheep. Amen? And so take that piece, that body, and you can just partake however you have. And for me, we have got our wine here, our grape juice, and the blood represents the blood that was shed for you and for me. Let's partake of this communion together as we celebrate the fact that we're in common union with Christ, but also with one another, also with dawn. Amen? Hallelujah. Church, every provision that we need for life and for godliness is found in Christ. Everything that we need. And as we journey through the rest of this psalm, you're going to see there's times when you're going to be going through dark valleys, but guess who's with you? Your good shepherd and your best friend. There's hard times in life, but you're not alone. Church, you're not alone. We love you. We are for you and not against you because we know that our God, our Father, our good friend, our best friend, our good shepherd is for us and not against us. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord causes face to shine upon you and be gracious, gracious toward you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and may he give you peace. God bless you, church family.